that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe, to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as, the, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Well, ten years ago, as we've been talking about, the Gulf Coast experienced the costliest natural disaster in the history of the United States. Hurricane Katrina caused billions of dollars of damage and over a thousand deaths in the storm and subsequent flooding. That date has become a, a reference point in our lives. Uh, we say things like, well, that, that happened before Katrina, or, you know, I, I came to this church after Katrina, or we, it's, it's a big event, obviously, in uh, lives of people on the Gulf Coast. This church building survived the hurricane. And it was the only church building, at least uh, someone's told me this somewhere along the line, that it was the only church building left standing along the beach for like 90 miles. And that, uh, that's a really amazing when you think about it. And in, in the midst of rebuilding your own lives, because I was several thousand miles away myself at the time, thankfully, uh, the, the church, because it was still standing, became a center for the relief effort. As the community came together, as people from other states came to help, uh, millions of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of, of volunteers from all over the country passed through the doors of this church as you reached out in the community uh, and helped people rebuild their lives. It was a great time of God's grace being poured out into the community through the church, through this church, through, through many of you who were involved at the time. But it was also a very difficult time because you were in the midst of rebuilding your own lives and just trying to help so many people so in need. It took a lot of work and a lot, of, a lot of strength and a lot of effort. But again, there was evidence of the grace of God to which many of you will attest. Now to mark this weekend in one of God's works of providence, uh, we have an excellent passage upon which to meditate this morning. Uh, one that is particularly appropriate for our situation today. Now when I say God's providence, uh, uh, you know, the catechism, the shorter catechism says, What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So 
We believe that God is in control of everything that happens. He's in charge of what text that that, uh, I'm going to preach on next week and this week and the week before. We can be certain, because God is governing the world, that this passage is exactly what God wants you to think about for the next 25 minutes or so. I find comfort in this because as I began to study this passage, as I just looked over it after last week's study of Acts 15, I thought, what in the world am I going to say about that? And I thought seriously about abandoning this text altogether and preaching on, I even got Kim to pull the bulletins from around the time of the hurricane because I remember that uh, you know, David Skinner had preached the Sunday before the hurricane and, of course, after the hurricane, the water came in up to the pulpit here but his notes were still there. So it must have been a powerful sermon if his notes didn't get blown away. But I decided not to do that and to stick with, with, what, uh, with what, what was coming up next in our study of Acts. And, uh, and I was really pleased as I dug into it because I think it's particularly appropriate to the occasion. And you may be thinking about what I've just read and go, ah, I don't understand and see how that can make a connection, but it does. The passage before us is something of a bridge between uh, what has happened in Acts 15, a very important event in the life of church, a watershed moment in the history of Christianity, the Jerusalem Council, as they clarified the relationships Gentiles have with the church. Of course, Paul's been on his first missionary journey. A lot of pagan Gentiles with no uh, Jewish background had come into the church, and so how do we deal with those? Do they, need to, do they need to convert to Judaism and then become Christians? That was the question, and they said, no, they don't. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was affirmed, and we looked at that last week in Acts 15. So that came at the end of this first missionary journey, and then, and then the, the events that uh, happened as a result of all the good things the Lord did in converting so many people. Uh, throughout, throughout even the, the known world at that time. And, uh, and now we're, we're beginning the second missionary journey. And so this is a bridge, and before we get into any of the details really about what happened on that second journey, we have some things that need to be clarified, and that's what Luke's doing for us. He's setting us up for the second journey, but as I... I began to study this, I realized that this is, this is just a perfect passage for us as we think about the ten years since Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. And here's why. Here's why it's the perfect passage for us. At the beginning of Acts, Luke tells us that his gospel account, the gospel of Luke, uh, he refers to it in the first verse of Acts. He says, my first, you know, the thing that I wrote first uh, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he ascended to heaven. So Luke is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now Luke could have said, you know, in the, the thing that I wrote before, the, the, the account I wrote before, it was all that Jesus did and taught. He didn't say all that Jesus did and taught. It's all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the implication is, that what he's writing now in Acts is, is all that Jesus continued to do and teach through, uh, through his apostles. You know, Jesus has ascended to heaven, but he sent the apostles on his mission to complete the mission that he has started. So it's, it's everything that Jesus continues to do and teach. That's what we're reading here. And that's an important point. 
he is continuing to do and to teach even today. His mission is still ongoing. He does not stop. He has a purpose, and he will see that purpose through to the end. Nothing can thwart that purpose. No power in the universe can stop it. No evil can overcome it. Jesus himself said it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He doesn't mean church buildings. He means the people that make up the church. That's the church, the body of Christ. He means people, the church, the people of God, the kingdom of God, all those who are loyal subjects of Christ. Christ, he came to earth and he died to save a people for himself, to be their God and for them to be his people. Those who turn to him from sin for salvation that only he can provide. So he's going to save his people. He's going to save them. His mission is to do that, and, it, and his mission is going to be accomplished positively 100% certain. And that it makes sense, doesn't it? He's God. If Jesus went to all the trouble of becoming a man on earth and suffering and dying to pay the price for people, then he's going to get what he pays for, and he's already paid for it. Now, you may remember shopping in a store called Wilson's. You may remember Wilson's. Uh, they changed it to service merchandise. Okay, service merchandise. You know, you go into service merchandise, and they have all the, the products on displays on the shelves, but you didn't, you didn't take them off the shelf. You, you pulled the card that had the information. You went to the back of the store, and you, gave, you paid for whatever products you wanted, and you waited, and they would come out on a conveyor belt, or they would bring them up to you. And, and I always liked shopping there for some reason. That just sticks in my mind. I thought that was kind of cool. But could you imagine uh, going to the back of the store and, you know, paying for your products, your new golf clubs or your vacuum cleaner, and, and uh, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting and, and it never comes. Would you give up and say, oh, well, I guess it's not... Even though I paid for it, I'm not going to get my products and, and walk away. You wouldn't do that. Nobody would do that, you know, who's paid the money already. You absolutely wouldn't. You would demand to get what you paid for. You would demand to see the manager or whatever and say, you know, bring me my stuff. Well, Jesus is no different. He paid the price. The Bible tells us we're bought with a price. He's paid the price. He's going to get what he paid for. And that's his mission. And he's working to do that. Now, in the passage before us today, we see Jesus continuing his mission to save sinners, but there are some roadblocks that pop up along the way, blocking the progress of the mission, or maybe not. Are they really roadblocks? We'll see. But there are at least three points that we can see in this passage. Neither human paroxysms, and I'll explain that word in a minute, Neither human paroxysms, nor human prejudices, nor human plans can thwart <laughs> Jesus' mission. I've given you an outline there if you have it, if you picked it up at the door. Uh, those three things cannot thwart Jesus' mission. And these are only three things. There are so many other things that people might think could thwart Jesus' mission. Nothing can thwart Jesus' mission. But these three things are mentioned here in the passage at least. First of all, human paroxysms cannot thwart Jesus' mission. Now, I realize that that word paroxysm is a little much. Sarah and I 
I, I mentioned it to her this morning, and she was like, I don't even know what that means. And I was like, well, I had to look it up too. Uh, but I, I really wanted it to, to have some alliteration here, so I'm going with the P words, and I couldn't think of one. Really, the word I started off with was conflict. Conflict, human conflict cannot thwart Jesus' mission. Um, and I'll explain why I use the word paroxysm in just a moment. But, but here we have in verses 36 through 41 that Paul and Barnabas uh, decide to go to the places where they had already preached the gospel and churches had sprung up. And they wanted to, to go back and see how they were doing and encourage the brothers, as they say there in verse 36, to encourage the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. See how they are. Well, Barnabas wanted to take his cousin. doesn't tell us it's his cousin here, but it does in another place in the Bible. So Barnabas wants to take John Mark, uh, his cousin, and uh, Paul has a problem with this because back in Acts chapter 13, uh, John Mark was with them and had left them in the middle of the mission. And when they hit Pamphylia, he, he just leaves. And it really doesn't tell us why he left. But obviously, uh, Paul thought it unwise to give this young man a second chance. And Barnabas was all for it. Well, verse 39 tells us that there arose a sharp disagreement. And the Greek word there is paroxysmos, which is where we get our word paroxysm from. So that's why I picked that word, paroxysm. Now, I've given you the definition there. A paroxysm is a, 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 a sudden attack or violent expression of a particular emotion or activity. It's a, it's a, it's a real visible reaction to something emotionally. And so that word, we got that word from the Greek word, and the Greek word doesn't have the same violent outburst associated with it, but it does mean angry, irritated, uh, incensed. So what, what Paul and Barnabas had, were experiencing here was a, was a sharp disagreement, and that's no uh, understatement or a very accurate way to put it. They were really at odds with one another, they, and he's not selling it short to call it a sharp disagreement. And the result of that, of course, is that they separated. They went their, their different ways. Barnabas went off with Mark, and Paul got Silas to go with him. You remember Silas from a few verses back? He was one of the people that the Jerusalem church sent to Antioch to share about their decision uh, about uh, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And he was a, a good man, and Silas, uh, Silas accompanied Paul as they went in their different directions. Both, uh, uh, interestingly enough, went to their hometowns. Uh, Barnabas took off for Cyprus. There's a map on that uh, little outline I gave you on the back side of it. And uh, Cyprus is that island just off the coast from Antioch. And Paul went uh, kind of north and, and uh, west to his home area, Cilicia, where Tarsus is located. And he started his journeys there. And this is the last we hear in Acts of Barnabas. The, the story picks up with Paul. Uh, from, from this point forward. Now, as we think about this situation and the, the conflict that, this, that they encounter here, we might think that this is, this is really a bad scene for Christians. Hey, you know, just on a side note, it, it really shows us that you, you wouldn't write this, you know, if you were making it up, because it really kind of makes Christianity look bad if you think, oh, here's some Christians and they can't get along. They're fighting with one another and they're separating. Well, we might think it's a bad scene, and, and, uh, but we have to affirm that, yes, there are disagreements sometimes between people. And this disagreement was over just whether or not they should take John Mark along with them and whether there's a right or wrong answer 
you know, who knows? I mean, it was just a, a difference of opinion that they had about it and the wisdom of it. But we see the end result, uh, something great happened out of it. The end result is that the mission of Jesus was carried out by more people and to more places. So now you, know, you didn't have just one team out sharing the gospel and reaching out to lost people. You had two different groups going out and reaching out and going to new and different places. And we saw a similar thing happen, if you remember, back in the early chapters of Acts. Something that seemed like a bad thing happened, but it served the mission of Christ. Uh, the uh, persecution that happened in Jerusalem. You know, all the, all the Christians were kind of centered in Jerusalem after Pentecost, and they were all there, and, and loving one another and enjoying their company and getting along great. And then the Romans started hating the Christians, and, and they were driven away from Jerusalem. And you think, oh, that's, that's terrible. But they went about telling everybody about Jesus. And so the gospel spread across the countryside. And, uh, and it, le- it was the forerunner of what Paul and Barnabas began, the mission work to reach out to the Gentiles. So this, this thing that happened actually served the mission of Christ. Uh, Matthew Henry puts it this way. I put the quote in the, in the outline. It was strange that even the sufferings of the apostles, but much more strange that even the quarrels of the apostles should tend to the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. Yet so it proved here. God would not permit such things to be if he knew not how to make them to serve his own purposes. Human conflicts cannot thwart Jesus' mission. Jesus will take those conflicts and will turn them around and they will serve his purposes because his mission cannot be thwarted. Now this church over the years has experienced a number of conflicts. We all know we don't need to rehearse all the details of, of what has happened. And we might be very discouraged as we think back through the years about things that have happened, uh, maybe some things that are very personally painful to us. But you know what? Jesus can take even those human weaknesses, human anger, human conflicts, and he can turn it around and and use it for the furtherance of of his church and its mission. It will not be thwarted. And so let's not be discouraged over all that's happened even since the storm uh, the last ten years. Uh, This is a new day. And Christ is still building his church, and the gates of hell still cannot prevail against it. And it's true. We need to make sure that, that like Paul and Barnabas, because what we find out as we continue to read in the New Testament, that Paul and Barnabas did not hate one another. They didn't bear a grudge against one another. Uh, Paul still uh, says good things about Barnabas in, uh, in Corinthians, for example. And John Mark, who, uh, who Paul didn't want to take along, uh, later on, he's, in, he's saying, tell John Mark to come with me, come to me. Uh, he's very helpful to me. And several other places, he, he mentions John Mark and Barnabas as well in a very positive light. So they didn't bear grudges with one another. They recognized they had a disagreement. Uh, they went their separate ways, but they still loved one another. And there was no uh, bitterness or grudge held against one another. That's another sermon for another time. Uh, but we need to make sure, just because we... I'm not excusing any uh, paroxysms that you may have had with someone else. You need to reconcile with that person. But it just may mean that you still have to go separate ways. It's okay. God will use that 
wherever they go and wherever you go if you are his child. Now, what is true for the church is true for individuals as well. You know, you may have had some difficult circumstances in your life. You may have been wronged by other people. You may have made terrible mistakes, but that does not thwart the mission of Christ in your life. If you are turning to him for salvation, if you're trusting in the Lord, then he can turn those things and use them uh, for his good, for your good, and for his glory. And if you're not a Christian today, you have no such hope. I mean, the Christian has confidence that whatever comes along, God can use that, even if it's a painful thing. He can use it in our lives uh, to fulfill his purposes that cannot be thwarted. So human paroxysms cannot thwart Jesus' mission. Neither can human prejudices. And I knew I wouldn't have enough time to really delve into this, but that's okay because uh, what we have here in this next section is uh, Timothy uh, being picked up by Paul to join him. And an interesting thing, he has Timothy circumcised. Paul would have been the biggest proponent of not needing to be circumcised. But he knew that his mission was to go out and share the gospel, and he often started in the synagogues. And he was trying to deliver this message that they had decided that we, we learned about from Acts 15, to, to go to the Jews and the Gentiles so they could instruct people on, on how we're all going to get together. He's breaking down the barriers and the prejudices, and he's, and he's saying... They know Timothy is half Jewish, and so in order to remove any barriers to the message, we're going we're gonna to have Timothy circumcised so that he will be more easily accepted by the Jews who need to hear this message. Now, just briefly, this reminded me of the situation after the hurricane. Uh, you know, when, when everybody was in the same boat and, and everybody uh, was suffering from all the effects you know, there was no black, white, rich, poor. You know, people helped one another. You know, that's the biggest thing that I always remember about this. The, the, as people were relating what happened to me, it was just the, the uh, amazing coming together of people from different faiths, from different denominations, from different races, from different sides of the tracks. Whatever differences they had, they seemed to be eliminated, and people loved one another and cared for one another. And it was a beautiful thing that happened especially as the churches came immediately in to help relieve the suffering, the human suffering that was going on. So the barriers were, were removed and people were able to minister to one another. And I was just thinking about this. You know, Paul was removing the barriers so people could come together and all hear the gospel. What barriers do we put up against the gospel to other people? You know, what barriers do we hold on to that keep us from ministering? And I think the, the antidote to that is to recognize that we're really all on a level playing field. Physically, back in Katrina, we were all on a level playing field, or you all were, uh, because everybody was suffering. And we reached out, you reached out to one another. But humanly speaking, in a spiritual sense, we're all sinners. We all need uh, Christ to save us. And that puts us all on the same playing field. And that keeps me from any barrier to say, you know, I'm too good or I'm too righteous to, to minister to you because it's only by God's grace that we stand at all, that we're, that we're saved at all. Well, human prejudices cannot thwart Jesus' mission. And then quickly, human plans cannot thwart Jesus' mission. In 6 through 10, you can see from a glance at the, that map that, that uh, 
Paul was going back to the place where he had first uh, ministered. And naturally, it would have seemed that he would have gone north, but it tells us that the Holy Spirit is forbidding him uh, from preaching in those regions. And if you look at the map and follow along, uh, they end up heading west, and they are forbidden to speak until they get to Troas, and then they hop a boat to Philippi. But between where they are, where it first says they are forbidden to speak, it's 400 miles to Troas. For 400 miles on foot, they were not allowed to preach. That, that's, that's uh, you know, this is Paul who said, you know, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Uh, the Lord was wanted them to wait. And then, once they get to Philippi, once they get to Troas, they hop a boat to Philippi, and then next week we're going to see the great things that happen there as they begin to preach the gospel. But human, so often we have our human plans. We have our ideas of what needs to happen and the timing of it. And, and all, this is, all I want to say about this is that, you know, God may lead us. He may be leading us, but may be saying no to us for a time. And when you are going through a time of small things or, or a time of, uh, of you know, difficulty, especially in the church, we, we easily become discouraged. But remember, Christ's mission will not be thwarted. If we're faithfully following him, doing uh, what he's called us to do, even though we may not see the results immediately, we must keep being faithful and keep following the Holy Spirit's lead because we will get to Philippi eventually. You know, we might just be our church. You know, we got a lot of empty space here, but we might just be on the road to Troas at the moment because then there's a Philippi coming. And Philippi was the only church, if you read the letters of the New Testament, that Paul really felt good about. You know, it's the joyful church, and he's telling them to rejoice in the Lord, and he doesn't complain about this, that, or the other with the Philippians like he does with the Corinthians or the Colossians or the Ephesians or all the other ones. Philippi was great. So don't be discouraged having to wait for the results. Don't be discouraged at, you know, being told no by the Lord as a church, but as your, in your own life. God is going to complete the work that he's begun in you and in us. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the encouragement that we find in your word. We pray that you would help us to remember that your mission is going forward and we need to hop on board that mission. And your kingdom is eternal. The, the things that we might pursue in our lives, those things are going to pass away. We're going to pass away. Our souls are going to go on, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, if they're not part of your, your church, your kingdom, that they would turn to you and call upon you, as we sang earlier. Call upon the Lord, and you will hear them, answer them. Lord, we pray that you would help us to Grant us repentance from the barriers that we put up uh, against other people uh, receiving the good news of salvation. Forgive us for the, the barriers that we put up ourselves from receiving uh, the gospel of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, work in everyone's life here to make them part of that kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's conclude by giving thanks one more time to God for all that he's done for us, for all that he's provided for us. Now thank we all our God.